You can turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start reading this morning with verse 11. So yesterday we were out and about and William had his final basketball game of the season and there were a whole bunch of kids there. It was uh, playing the other team from his school, so lots of friends around and lots of little kids and um, family comes, we're hanging out. Uh, my nephew Kimper's there with my parents and they're watching the game and whenever there is a break in the action in the game, say like the end of a quarter or halftime, all the school kids, they run down and play on the basketball court while the teams go off and have their little powwow thing. And uh, at one of those breaks, either before or after the game or something like that, uh, Kemper was down there running around on the floor, and there's all these kids doing uh, basketball and whatever, and Kemper's just running around and running around and running around, and Mom looks at me and goes, look at him down there. He's just in his own little world. And, you know, just not paying attention to anything that's happening around him. And it's funny because I had planned on sharing this phrase in my own little world uh, this, this morning because, you know, I, I witness this with my kids all the time. They just like zone out and they don't have any clue what's going on around them. And you try to talk to them and they're just in their own little world doing their own little thing. And sometimes I think it would be nice to live in my own little world. Like, wouldn't it be nice? Like, don't you sometimes just want to be like, build a wall and just everything that's going on out there, <clears throat> uh, just ignore it, and you could just live in your own little world, and it'd be just like the perfect little world, because it's my world, and it's the world that I made, and it's the ideal situation and circumstances, and, and it's just the way I like it, right? That's not reality. We all know that that's not reality. And when we think about the world that we live in, it's far from perfect. It's far from ideal. You know, in, in the perfect world, everyone would do what was right. Everyone would do life God's way, and there would be love and joy and peace, all the problems. But the world we live in is not like that. It's messed up. There are lots of problems. There are lots of pains. There's lots of brokenness. People who reject God, they don't know Him. They turn away from Him. And the question that we're looking at this morning is, as followers of Jesus, how are we supposed to live in this world? Not my own little world that I would want to imagine and create for myself, but we recognize reality. And we look at the world around us as followers of Jesus, we recognize that not everyone knows God, not everyone follows God. The world has systems that are broken. The world has systems that don't function properly. It's, it's a messed up place. And how are we supposed to do life in this world? <clears throat> now, we're coming out of what we've read before last week in chapter 2. And we discussed last week how God has a place for us. Like, we belong to Him. We're, we're part of His family. We're His people. God has been establishing a people for Himself. And God has a purpose for His people, that they would put His goodness on display. And we, we read that in verse 9 of chapter 2. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness 
into his wonderful light, right? So we're God's people, and our purpose is to praise his name. We're, we're declaring how good he is. We're declaring his excellence to the world so that other people would see it and then turn to him and become part of his people. So <clears throat> our place is with God. Our purpose is to praise him. And we asked the question this morning, how should we live in this world among unbelievers, people who don't know God, people who don't trust God, uh, and also in the broader context of human society and social structures? How do we, as followers of Jesus, as God's treasured possession, as his people, fit in and live in this world? <clears throat> this section of the letter of First Peter is going to be covering that topic. It begins here with verse 11 and goes all the way through part of chapter 4. So this question Peter is going to answer over the next uh, several sections of the letter. He begins here with an address. Let's read First Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they, be, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called, her, called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate 
as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We'll stop there. The section continues. And the reason I read all of that, we can't cover all of that today, but I want you to see that the ideas that we're leading off here within the first couple of verses are going to affect the way that we live in all these different spheres of life, in all these different areas that we occupy as we go about our lives. So he begins uh, by addressing them. And he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Here, he's just reminding them again of, of who they are. The word for dear friends is actually the word in the original language for loved. He calls them beloved. Hey, I want you to know that you are loved. Kind of what Agnes reminded us of this morning, that God adores us. God loves us. And he says, hey, you loved people out there. <clears throat> this is how I want you to live. I urge you, I'm pleading with you, I'm encouraging you that you are to live as foreigners and exiles and abstain from sinful desires. And if you look here, again, we have this repetition of foreigners and exiles. This is the third or fourth time in this letter that he has called them exiles. He has reminded them that they are temporary residents. They're living in a land that is not their own. It's not their home, and they're just here for a particular period of time. It's not forever. And basically, he's saying, you need to remember, as you go about living life in this world, that you don't belong in this place. You belong to God, and He has an inheritance for you in heaven. But as you live in this world, remember, you are not to be consumed by the world's systems and values. The things that the world cares about are not necessarily the things that God cares about. The things that, that people value and their measures of success, like, hey, if, you've, if you reach this, you've made it. That's not how we're to think. We're supposed to think differently because we're not from here. We're, we have a different culture. We have a different way of doing life. So we need to be aware of what is going on in the world. We need to be able to identify these systems and values and then bring them to Scripture and to say, do these systems and values line up with what God is calling me to do? Maybe sometimes yes, but very often no. But what you do matters here, but this life is not the ultimate goal. This way of doing things is not uh, the defining standard. God's Word is the standard. So remember, you just, you just don't belong here and be ready that you're going you're gonna, to um, just bump up against some things that, that aren't the way that God wants them to be. And he calls them then to avoid or keep away from sinful desires. This word uh, sinful here uh, describes uh, just things of the flesh. And very often in Scripture, you've got the flesh in contrast with the things of the Spirit. So then these are just natural desires that come from being a human being in this place, but they're kind of like apart from the work of God in our lives, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And we want to avoid these natural desires, these sinful desires, because they are waging war against our souls. And the reality is, like, we see the physical realm around us all the time, but we're often unaware of the spiritual realm. We're just oblivious to those things, and we get focused on what's right in front of us, the things that we can see and the things that we can touch and the problems that are there. Sometimes we don't even pay attention to our inner life and our inner spiritual world. And what he's saying here, Peter is warning them, there there are some desires within you, right? We think of spiritual warfare sometimes as without, like the enemy's after me. That's a reality. But also there are some things like in your own human spirit that is rebellious toward God. And he says, "I, I want you to pay attention to those things and I want you to avoid them because those things are trying to destroy you. They're waging war. They don't have your best interest in mind, and they will ultimately bring destruction. So avoid these natural human sinful desires that are trying to conquer you. Instead, he tells them to live good lives in a way that will give unbelievers reasons to praise God. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Our lives are supposed to be beautiful and attractive. This word for good, it means morally good. Uh, it describes like just doing the right thing, but it also has this idea of beauty, that there's an attractive quality to this, that when we live life God's way, when we live life the right way, it's attractive. When you see people loving each other well, uh, sacrificing for one another, serving one another, it's, it's something like, wow, that's, that's really beautiful. That, that's a good way to live. And it should get the attention of people who don't trust God. Now, the word for pagans is just um, the, the nations, the, the Gentiles. You know, the, the Old Testament, it was the Jews and, and the Gentiles. And it was the Jews who were uh, following God and the Gentiles were, were not, was the idea. And so the word pagan here just means people who are non-believers, people who don't know God, who don't trust Him. And if you notice here, there is something that happens that sometimes people who don't know God, they don't understand or they just disagree. And so they look at believers sometimes and they accuse them of doing wrong. Like we see this in our society at, at times. There's a widening gap in, in terms of what is considered good and right and what is considered wrong. And as time progresses... It seems like more and more things that are considered evil, or at least were considered evil, are now being considered good, and things that were considered good are now being considered evil. And there's this hostility that takes place. And the thing is, what he's saying here is even though you might get accused of doing something wrong, keep doing the right thing. Keep doing good things. Because the hope is that ultimately people will recognize that and they will glorify God when God shows up, all right? So this idea is we are continually bearing witness to the goodness of God, even though we may be accused of doing something wrong. And this mirrors what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. He tells His disciples that they are the salt of the earth. When we think about how we use salt, like generally I think of using salt as a, uh, uh, as for flavor, you know, we just add flavor to things. But 
in this world where there's no refrigeration and things like that, salt is used to preserve meat, to preserve food. And the idea is as we do good things, we are preserving good goodness on earth. Jesus tells his disciples they're the light of the world. And you don't light a lamp and put a bowl over top of it. But no, you put a light out where people can see it. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So again, Peter is just mirroring these words of Jesus, that we're putting God's goodness on display so that God will receive praise, even though there is some hostility and opposition. So then we start to ask the question, well, how does this godly witness work within the social order, within varying different contexts, right? So we are to be a godly witness, and then what does that look like in different areas and aspects of our lives? We read this whole chunk earlier because what I want you to see next is Peter talks about different areas of life and how we are to be this godly witness in each of them. He talks about human government. That's the one we're going to cover today. And then he... <clears throat> talks about the household. So we got it on a, on a grand scale of nations and also on a, like a much smaller scale of what happens in someone's house, right? And so he talks about uh, the slaves of that day, and he talks about marriage and husbands and wives, right? So he talks about it at the big level and the small level. We're going to get to that smaller level in the next few weeks, but today we're just going to focus in on the idea of how we relate to government. And he begins by telling us that we are called to submission to human authorities. Read here with me in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So this section, he begins to talk about how we relate to human authorities. And he tells us that we need to obey human authorities, in order to bring honor to Christ. Submit yourselves, he says, for the Lord's sake. The word for submit means to, to line up under someone's authority, to, to be obedient, to do what is required of us. And we recognize that there are human governments. When we live in society, there has to be some kind of structure, there has to be some kind of order. We can look all over history and see that there are different forms and types of governments. Some are much better than others. But the idea here is that we are to be in line and in community with the wider world around us in order to bring glory to God. Notice here it says, for the Lord's sake. It's not for people's sake. It's in order that we um, bring honor to Jesus. Now, the word here for authority, it says all human authority. The word is actually creature. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human creature. And why would he say this? Well, in the ancient world, it was widely thought that rulers 
had some kind of divine power. They were either gods or the sons of gods. You see it with the pharaohs in Egypt. You even see it in the time of the Romans. And emperors would, would claim to, to have God status. You should obey me and I should tell you what to do because I'm of God. And of course, if I'm God, then, then you should listen to what I, what I say. And so Peter is reminding his readers that the emperor is not Lord. The emperor is not God. They are simply a human creature. But even as a human creature, we can line up under their authority. And he says that I don't want you to be rebellious because then all the uh, people of the world are going to look at those Christians and be like, I don't know about their Christ. They're just a rebellious people. They're a defiant people. They, they, don't, they don't want to play nice with us. And in this way, they would bring disrepute to Jesus simply by being rebellious and difficult. It says that we're to do things God's way, and that is to submit. And he says you can submit whether it's to the emperor as the supreme authority, right? He's the king, essentially. He said, what he says goes. Or uh, to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So in the ancient times, there would be the, the empire is divided up into different uh, regions, right? Different provinces. And the emperor, he assigns uh, governors to go out and rule on his behalf. And you got to think about this. This is not a time of like telephones where you're like, hey, if there's a problem, we can call up uh, the leader and be like, hey, what should we do here, right? If you got a problem in some remote corner of the empire, you got to send a message uh, by foot, by horseback, by ship, by some way. And it takes months for that message to get there and then months for that um, answer to get back. So these governors in these regions, they have a lot of power because they're making decisions on behalf of the emperor for their region. And they don't have a hotline. There's no red phone in the Oval Office that you could call the other nation and be like, what's going on here? All right? So as we look at this, there is this principle that, that um, he gives us that, that good government is supposed to maintain God's justice, that those who do wrong are punished, and that those who do the right thing, they're commended. We don't see this much in our world, but in the ancient world, the, the government, the, the governor would not only um, punish people who did evil, but if there was someone who was benefiting society, they would honor them in society, and they would recognize them, and they would praise them, and they would build monuments to them, and things like that. So uh, we've got both things happening here, um, punishing those who do wrong and praising those who do right. Now, as we think about this and submitting ourselves to authority, one of the things that uh, we have to consider is that I believe that this is a general principle. It doesn't necessarily to apply to all situations at all times. Now, don't take that and run with it. Let me explain what I mean first. Like, as a general rule, as a general principle, we need to be lining up under the authority of the government. My friends, it's tax time, and that bill is coming due, right? Like, there, there is a responsibility, and you might have your opinions about the morality of it. You might have your opinions about the righteousness of it. My wife is an accountant. She has lots of opinions. If you want some, she can give you some. Um, but... In general, we're to line up under that. And I think, like, uh, remember Jesus 
when he's with the disciples and they come to him, the, the, the leaders come to him and say, hey, do you and your disciples pay the temple tax? And Jesus is like, I'm the son of God. You're God's people. Like, does the king require a tax from his sons? I don't think so. But so that we don't cause offense, hey, Peter, go over there, uh, throw your line in. You're going to catch a fish that's going to have two coins. Give it to him, pay my tax and yours. Like, that, that's pretty cool. Hey, it's tax time. I'm going to go out in the woods, find, a, <laughs> find an animal. Hey, this will cover my tax bill. That would be amazing, you know. Um, but, but Jesus is saying, like, in reality, I'm free. I don't have to pay the tax. I'm the son of God. God doesn't require that from me. But in order that we don't bring disrespect to our message and don't cause undue problems, there's going to be plenty of conflict. I don't need to cause conflict in this area. We're going to pay this tax. And that, that's the idea here, is that there's this general principle where we are honoring human authority. In fact, the New Testament writers went out of their way to show that the church was not a threat to the government. All through the book of Acts, there's this theme. When you read every time that Paul comes into contact with a new Roman leader as he goes into a different uh, region, he's shown as a law-abiding citizen. And the people who are opposing him, the people who are trying to stone him, the people who are flogging him are depicted as people who are breaking the law. And what Luke is trying to communicate to this society at this time is like the church is not a threat, it's not a political entity that's going to overthrow the current government. And because if, if Rome was seeing the church as a threat, then immediately the church is going to be squashed out, right? They're just going to be persecuted and put to death. So there is this effort on the part of the early Christians to say, hey, we're not a threat. Now, ultimately, Christian principles, as they grow, butt up against the ways of the world, the systems and values of the world. And we need to understand that there are times then when the government is doing something that is immoral, that is wrong. And we as followers of Jesus are obligated to obey Jesus and not the king. As a general rule, yes, we honor the king, but when the rulers in Jerusalem told the disciples, hey, don't preach anymore in Jesus' name, they're like, hey, should we obey men or should we obey God? What's the deal here? But you see, they, they were willing also to deal with the consequences. When they said, we got to obey God no matter the consequences, the rulers were like, well, you're getting beaten for that. And they suffered for doing what God had called them to do. And we'll talk about that. We read about that a few verses later where he talks about suffering even though we do, we're doing what is right. But there are times when we might have to go against what the government is saying, but we also have to be willing to deal with the consequences of the government. And even though it might be unjust, we have to make sure that our conscience, our conscience is clear before God. Another thing that we can try to think through and questions that we have to ask ourselves, um, when Peter is writing this, the government is authoritarian. It's like, it's the emperor and the people that he sends to rule, and that's it. And his word goes. And if he says, Ash, you're done, guess what? you're done, right? Like, you're, like you're beheaded, you're done. You're, like, you're, you're just, we, don't, we don't live in a society like that. Thank God, right? Praise the Lord. So we live in a society, a, a modern republic, 
where we vote on representatives who are supposed to represent the people. It's supposed to be a government by the people and for the people. And again, I don't know that our current system represents that, but that was the, the ideal. And we live in a place where we can at least have a vote, where we can advocate for certain laws and certain policies, and we can stand up and speak into the conversation. That's a blessing, and we need to think about how we can do that well and bring honor to Christ, not bring undue conflict, but also not being scared of the conflict. In Peter's day, however, he's just like, if you go up to the emperor and be like, you're an idiot, don't do that, the emperor looks at the guy beside him and goes, take him out, and you're gone, right? Like, it's, it's essentially the mafia. And um, this is not the world that we live in, and we need to think about how we submit to governing authorities, but also exercise our rights as citizens in this republic. And the reality is, we think about this submission, is that we need to be obedient even in situations that we don't like. There's an important word there, things that we don't like. I'm not saying things that are immoral. Like if there's some law that is requiring us to do something immoral, like think in Daniel's day where they were required to, to worship the idol, right? Like Daniel's like, no, I'm not doing that. But if there's some law that's really not necessarily a moral thing, it's just something that we, we uh, hey, I don't want to do that. That's a stupid law. Well, guess what? God is calling us to obey that authority so that Christ still receives honor and people don't look at us and go, man, those Christians, they're a problem. So we don't disobey God, but if it's not violating God's command, then we submit. And the concern here is that godly witness. How do we live life in this world? Well, we're God's people. We're to praise His name. We're to be this godly witness. And the idea is that by doing what is right, we can remove the basis of any charge that's laid against us. He says, for it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Essentially muzzle them, right? Just tie their mouth shut. And the idea is that people are going to accuse you of doing wrong, but don't give them any reason. Don't give them any legitimate reason to accuse you. And ultimately, because God is the ruler of the universe, goodness will prevail. All right, so then in this next verse, he says this, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And so this is the idea that while we submit to human authorities, we remain free as God's servants. Live as free people. The word live is is actually not in the text. This, this whole phrase is connected to the idea of submission. And this is what he says. Submit as free people. Know who you are. You are free in Christ. You are not bound. This is a voluntary submission that you are offering. A lot of times when Scripture talks about submission, it's not like make someone submit. It's rather spoken to the person who is supposed to submit, and they freely come, and they line up under whatever authority it is, right? So he tells them, submit, knowing that you're free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. In other words, don't be like, hey, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, and I can do the wrong thing. No, that's, that's not the picture here. Um, we use our freedom to serve others. We use our freedom 
to show love. And he tells us then to submit as God's slaves. You answer ultimately to God. He is our master. He is our ultimate authority. He is the one who has the final say. So we understand this hierarchy that's happening here. As believers, we ultimately answer to God. He has the final say. But we live in this world where there are human authorities, and so we line up under that, but just remembering that they're not our final authority. God is. We are freely offering ourselves in submission as we live in this context of human government. And then he tells them to show appropriate honor in whatever place you find yourself, in whatever place you're operating, in these different social contexts. We need to do what's right for that context. He says, show proper respect to everyone. That word respect is the word for honor. It gets repeated a few verses later. So show proper honor to everyone. Esteem everyone in high regard, like, like care about them, value them. They're worth something. Believer, non-believer, friend, foe, whoever it is, honor them because they're valuable to God. He tells them to love the family of believers, the, the brotherhood. And yes, we're called to love everyone, even our enemies, but there's this special love that um, is supposed to be in place in the fellowship of believers. In Galatians, Paul tells them, he says, do good to everyone, especially those who believe, right? So we're all about taking care of everyone, but there's this connection that we have in Christ that binds us together, that we show this family affection to one another. And then he tells them to fear God and honor the emperor. And this is a reference to, uh, to Proverbs 24, 21. In Proverbs 24, 21, uh, the writer, he says, hey, you need to fear the Lord and the king because if you do stupid stuff, both of them will punish you. Like, that's the idea. And so he says, we need to be reverent before God, understanding that he is the just judge. And we're not talking about terror, like I can't approach God. We, we can approach God in confidence because of what Christ has done for us. But what we're talking about here is this, this respect of I know God is good and he will punish evil, so I'm not going to cross those boundaries. And then honor the emperor. Again, the, the emperor, when he's doing justice, is supposed to punish evil and reward those who do good. So there are these different spheres of relationship, the world in general, the family of believers, the government, God, and we do what is right within each of those. All right, so let's sum all this up because we've covered a lot of ground today. We're talking about life in this world as the people of God. And ultimately, what we're supposed to be doing is bearing witness to God's goodness, that we live good lives, beautiful lives that will attract non-believers and bring glory to God. When it comes to the social order, the government specifically today, that we're to submit to human authorities in order to bring honor to Christ. And ultimately, we belong to God and we serve Him, so we fear Him and we show honor to everyone else as people made in God's image. And we have to wrestle uh, moment by moment, situation by situation, through all the brokenness and all the things that don't go right and all the injustice and all this stuff. But this is the overall view that, that whatever is happening, we are living in a way that pleases God and shows other people God's goodness. And we can't do this on our own. We can't do this in our own strength. We need God working in us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, 
producing those good works, helping us avoid or put to death the old self and avoid the sinful desires that, that wage war against us and enable us and empower us to do good works which will result in God's glory. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us to hear your voice as we think about each situation that we find ourselves in. Whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is in front of us, whatever authority that we're dealing with, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that we might bear witness to Christ and honor all those around us. God, we pray that we would walk in your love, that we would take hold of that message today, that you adore us, that you love us. And God, out of that freedom that we have in your love, we offer ourselves in service to everyone around us. God, I pray that you would empower us for that. In Jesus' name, amen.